0: author, consultant, applied behavioral economist. When you have that big bag, you will consume more than if you were to get a bunch of little fun-sized bags of Cheetos Mm -hmm. and go to eat them. And it's because of that little moment where you have to... Redecide: do I need to open another one of these bags, a partition that's telling you mm-hmm. it's a new decision point for the brain. Each mm-hmm. time you go and reach your hand into the open giant bag of chips, it's still just reinforcing the decision that you made before to eat chips. You know, it's, it's chip time. I'm good. Mm-hmm. But when you look at then you finished your tiny bag, and even if you brought 10 out to the couch because you thought, I might really want to eat all of these, <laughs> each time you go, do I do I need another bag of these chips and you have to think through that again.
1: Hmm. What would you tell your 18 year old self?
0: <laughs> Go find Aaron Palmer immediately. <laughs> That's my husband.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hello fellows, welcome to the next episode of Jagged with Just Ravi. Subscribe to my channel for conversations at the edge with thought leaders from the marketing, branding, and the business world. Conversations that ignite new ideas, ideas with rough, sharp edges. Hi, Melina. So nice to have you on my show. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Melina, if I requested you to tweet your profile, what would you say? I
0: would say... Author, consultant, applied behavioral economist, I guess is a, a, like, I know it's like teacher. I don't know. I'm not a good at tweet on the fly. I, you know, I, I, t- I spend so much time making sure I'm <laughs> brevity's not my friend, I guess is the right point <laughs> there. <laughs> I need lots of practice to shrink my way down to, to my tweetables.
1: <laughs> and also because you do do a lot of things and i must say that you are really a good teacher because uh whichever podcast episode i've heard you have this knack of uh, making it simple you know a complex concept and the examples that you take it becomes so relatable so, thank you yeah the key, key, key. <laughs> and i'm sure your clients must be loving that too that part
0: uh yeah it it helps a lot as as far as um getting people to have some awareness of Mm -hmm. the space. So I'm sure this is something we would get into in the conversation. But as far as starting my own podcast, which was back there, really, there were not, as far as I know, any behavioral economics business podcasts when I Mm -hmm. started mine. And a big piece of it was because I had a background in marketing and knew I was going to be doing that and incorporating some of the behavioral sciences. Mm. And I didn't want to be spending so much time educating people. If I was having to call people to explain to them that there was this thing that they needed to care about and then they needed to hire me to help do it, that is a really long uphill battle. Mm. And so instead um, looking at, well, I'll just start talking about it. And then if people find it kind of warming up leads essentially, and it, It uh yeah took off yeah <laughs> bigger faster than I expected, so yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. okay, so uh, Melina, uh when you say i I've, I've been reading a portion of your book, and when you say that in the past twenty years, we have learned more about the brain than the last two hundred thousand years. so what are the rules of the brain uh, that we have learned and uh, if you could please use the two examples that I love whenever you uh, talk about it, which is the elephant and the rider. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and so the uh, the elephant
0: and the rider is a um, analogy that was created by Jonathan Haidt hate. I always pronounce it incorrectly, I believe, but um, a psychologist from NYU and really is if you were to think about your brain like a person riding an elephant. And so the writer is this logical, conscious space. It's got a plan. It knows, you know, this is where we want to go and this is how we're going to get there. And this is the best way. And I'm going to avoid that. And I'm not going to do this. You know, you know what's happening. But the elephant is the way you have to get there and it has its own mind, right? It knows where it maybe wants to go. And if it gets distracted or wants to sit down, you can't pull or push or logic it into going where you want to go because those two uh, individuals in this way uh, don't speak the same language. And it's the same with your brain, with the conscious and subconscious parts in that they don't. Speak the same language. They don't really talk to each other. And the subconscious, I also like to think about it like a gatekeeper or a receptionist when you're trying to get a meeting with a busy executive. Mm-hmm. So it is constantly scanning the world around you, looking for things it already has a rule for, stuff it knows how to do. Say, I know how to do this. I know what to do about that. Got it, got it, got it. Normal, normal. And then every so often we'll flag the conscious to have it do something where there isn't a rule or something set up. And so what we need to know about the brain, the really important piece is that the subconscious really is running the show. And even though we've learned so much about the brain in these past 20, 30 years now, um, there's still lots to know. So exact percentages don't really, uh, it's not definitive how much is conscious versus subconscious, but definitely the majority is being done on that subconscious level in evaluating what's happening within the brain and yeah. so it's just better to communicate with that than to be communicating with the trying to get to the you know one five percent something little bit in that conscious brain
1: space. Yeah, yeah. You know uh, if you could talk uh, a bit about some more of the concepts and I had uh, noted down some that I felt have not been talked about in great detail uh, by anyone and of course behavioral baking has to be talked about because uh, that's that's yours right you yes, coined yes it. yes yes <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about that uh, and partitioning and mm-hmm. nudges and choice architecture uh, i'm just i'm just uh, throwing whatever you'd <laughs> like to elaborate on with some examples you know from sure. there we would like to then go to the branding aspect. Yes.
0: Yeah, for sure. So the uh partitioning is one that I don't get asked about all that often, so we can start uh, we'll we'll make sure to get that in there. Um what I will I'll start with the nudges and choice architecture piece because I think that that's um maybe a good kind of step into yes. what we have here. So nudges are a a concept that were created um through Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein, Thaler won a Nobel prize for that work. It's a very foundational piece of behavioral economics and behavioral science in that we know that choice is something that is relative and that you can be nudging people along the way to help them to make a certain choice. And so nudges is an acronym for the six Categories, which you don't have to go into, I have a seven part series on it on my show. Um, but some of that being that I really like to focus on defaults mm-hmm. and that you want to expect error and then give feedback, so that's the d e and g in nudges. uh so when we look at a decision that someone is going to make, they we like to think that they're going to sit through and evaluate all the options and make the best choice. But our brain is processing so much information at any given time. It's going to go with the quick, tried and true, proven methods that have worked before. And one of those is to go with the default. You know, even just to think about how long it does it take before your phone transitions to a black screen? Or what is the ringtone that you have on your phone? (coughs) Um, What's the setting on your brightness and how that's set up, just that as your phone as a singular item, there's so many defaults in there uh, and settings on computer or any other technology as well, that you just accept the default, that that's mm-hmm. something and you don't even really think about it. Uh, and so we also then have things like organ donation is an example here where people would say something like, 90 plus percent in a country at one point that said they believed in organ donation, that it was something that was valuable and that they would want to be a part of. But they would have, you know, like 10 percent of people that were actually opted in to being an organ donor. And You say, what? There's such a big disparity. This is weird. Why is this the case? And it was because it was something you had to opt into. And the default was to not be an organ donor. Mm -hmm. When you change it and make it so that you're automatically an organ donor, unless you opt out, magically, (laughs) you have lots more people who are signed up to be an organ donor. A big reason that that has an impact is because we are a herding species. And so we look to what others are doing to help determine the actions that we want to take, especially when it's something new that we are unsure about. And so those default settings send a signal to us that this must be what everyone else is doing. This is the right path. And you just move along kind of the if it ain't broke, don't fix it. (laughs) <laughs> saying yeah, we have yeah. <laughs> around here. So that's the defaults piece. The expecting error give feedback is something like mm-hmm. in your car where the seatbelt, if you don't have your seatbelt on, it'll ding at you. Uh, it's till they know that that's something you probably wanted to do to be safe. And so it will make a noise to remind you to um, put on your seatbelt mm-hmm. just in in case you forgot. And so, uh, But you can't have everything making noise and flashing lights and whatever in your car because you would tune it all out or just not drive because that would be a terrible experience. So that as the choice architect, the person who's creating those nudges and the experience, you need to be aware of the most important things and put your nudges in the right place.
1: Yeah. 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 And for that, you have to know how the brain functions. You know, like they say, the brain, like you said, it's not a rational evaluation. Our brain is an ignoring machine. Some have called it. Yes. <laughs> you, what you'd focus on that elephant is going to focus on you have to know and that too the context would decide so like the brain is would you agree that the brain has many apps and the mode that it is going to be in is the context and that will kind of uh, so it's it's not a computer yet yeah. <laughs> it has lot going on
0: Yeah, I know that these um, comparisons are things that help people to think about, you know, it's like files or apps or or whatever to think about how those things are, are running. Uh, But there are lots of simultaneous inputs in a way that even, you know, the computer or or whatnot can't necessarily match. Uh, But in general, yeah. I think that is a good way for people to think about it and that you need to be focusing on one thing. That's also part of where we're really, we like to think we're good at multitasking and mm-hmm. we are not. You get too distracted. It takes a long time to get back into the flow of something else when you go to check an email or you know whatever mm-hmm. happens to come up. And because we are creatures of habit, where our brains are seeking out rewards. And some rewards that we get are, there's a you know a hit of dopamine that our brain really likes when you're wondering if somebody maybe commented on your post on Instagram or somebody said, wow, Melina, that thread of tweets that you had for your introduction was really boring is actually what I'm gonna get <laughs> on my uh, notification. <laughs> um, but you don't think when you're getting a little bit Uh, Maybe it's, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, you're getting a little bit tired and then your phone dings or you see the red bubble pop up on your mailbox along the bottom, you know, toolbar or whatever it is. And it's just an impulse to go check and you feel like you have to go see because it could be really important. It could be something really cool that came in it almost never is but that idea that it could be that anticipation is something our brain actually really craves it wants that that uncertainty that kind of lottery life of mm-hmm. it could be a big deal this time is something that the brain loves and so that is when you look at uh, you know i have a chapter in the book on surprise and delight and being able to give things away and we feel in business that you have to be Fair, you know, and fairness is important, but it's not to say that everyone gets everything all the time because once something becomes expected, you lose that extra dopamine and excitement that comes. So you can actually sprinkle in spontaneous rewards or prizes and things that are uh, you didn't expect that someone was going to respond to you um, on social media. But when they do, you want to retweet and go, oh my gosh you know, whomever just tweeted me and it was the coolest thing ever, you know, but it's because they don't necessarily tweet everyone, then it's not mm-hmm. cool.
1: Yeah. And
0: so that, um, that excitement piece uh, that comes from uncertainty is a real value point for marketers and brands that a lot of people miss.
1: Right. Right. Uh, Melina, would you like to talk about partitioning?
0: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to. And so partitioning is, so, I like to give the example that if you were to sit on your couch, you know you you're turning in for the evening, you've got your comfy pants on, you know back in a world when we were going into the office and wearing uncomfortable pants all day, and so you go and you are gonna get your entire big like jumbo sized bag of Cheetos or whatever snack you like. And you open the entire bag and put it there and you're going to just watch Netflix or something. So when you have that big bag, you will consume more than if you were to get a bunch of little fun-sized bags of Cheetos Mm -hmm. and go to eat them. And it's because of that little moment where you have to redecide do I need to open another one of these bags? A partition that's telling you mm-hmm. it's a new decision point for the brain. Each mm-hmm. time you go and reach your hand into the open giant bag of chips, it's still just reinforcing the decision that you made before to eat chips. You know, it's it's chip time. I'm good. Mm-hmm. But when you look at then you finished your tiny bag and even if you brought 10 out to the couch because you thought I might really want to eat all of these, <laughs> each time you go, do I, do I need another bag of these chips? And you have to think through that again. So that's the basics of a partition that you put a little block up mm. that is creating a new decision. And so in some cases, you want to add partitions. And mm. in some cases, you want to look for where they may already exist and you can take them away. In that case, it's very similar to uh, sludge or friction. Uh, Cass Sunstein has a great book, Sludge, that came out in 2021. Roger Dooley has a book called Friction that came out, I believe, in 2019. Uh, both really great books that are looking at ways to reduce some of that excess. Uh, and partitioning is often part of some of that sludge and friction.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, Melina, so for positive change, for a positive habit, you can uh, you make it easy for yourself. And, uh, and, and, and if you want to discourage yourself from a behavior, then you make it more difficult. Like you Mm -hmm. said, an extra decision point. Yes. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, So if you want to stop eating the chips or Mm -hmm. whatever, instead of you could just not buy them. And then it's, if I really want them, I have to go drive to the store to get Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it doesn't have to even be that extreme. Uh, You know, some, research was, um, showing that when people had a bowl of buttery popcorn and one bowl of apples and the popcorn was closest to them and you had to reach to get the apples, people ate more popcorn when it was the reverse, people ate less calories and had more apples because, you know, reaching a little bit further was an extra step you had to go through. And so, having it so that the chips are in the garage and the healthy snacks are in the cupboard. Which is or- <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. Just put it a little bit further away and you'll be less likely uh, to eat them. And that's a kind of a nudge for yourself by mm-hmm. creating that. And also, you know, this is getting, there's so much, like we've already said, to be considering, but we mm. also have, um, call a hot, colds, empathy gap and the way that Mm -hmm. we make decisions. And so knowing when you're in a cold state Mm -hmm. is when you want to make the decision to say, Hey, I know that come eight o'clock, I'm going to want to eat the chips. I'm going to want the ice cream. I'm going to want whatever the thing is. Mm -hmm. And so being able to set up your partitions or whatever the rule is to make it more difficult or something you have to do when you're not ready to go and have the thing. You don't have the willpower when you're in the hot state. Mm -hmm. That's where you say, you know, tomorrow I'll do better, but right now I'm going to just finish this whole bag of chips. (laughs) And so understanding what state you're in, as you set Mm -hmm. that up and for marketers too, knowing when someone is going to be hearing or seeing the message. So I've had a client who actually is um, helping people make healthier decisions and Mm. overcome emotional eating Mm. as an example that similar to what we're talking about here. And she knows Thursday night is a point where people are starting to lose a lot of their willpower. You've been making a lot of, uh, hard decisions through the week and maybe you're getting ready to make a not so great decision uh, on Thursday night. And so she has an email that goes out at like five or six o'clock on Thursday that Mm -hmm. is to help because they're at the right point that they need to hear and to see it, to get that little boost, to get through one, you know, make one more positive decision or get through the weekend or whatever that happens to be. So understanding who you're talking to, what mental state they're in, where their nudgeable moments are, how you're going to be supporting them along the way and where they're trying to get to. There's a lot to be keeping in mind that it can be complex, but it doesn't have to be super difficult. You just need to be able to invest the time to think through all of what's going on.
1: Yeah. Because we are talking about uh, Melina, uh, positive change and habit uh, forming aspects um, this whole thing of, uh, you know, until unless there's an immediate uh, symptom or a perception, I'm saying for health, this whole optimism bias. Well, how do you encourage people to make a proactive change? I mean, it's not reactive, and it's not problem solution, but it's a proactive change that they want to do for long term. How how would you approach that? It's just the,
0: game to me. <laughs> sure. No, no. Well, I think it all goes. So if I have a client coming to me with a problem like that, uh, always will say, so very commonly the question, you know, is something like that, how do we get a positive change and say, well, like I need to know more about where someone is, where you want them to get to. The context is incredibly important, which is why that thoughtful approach really matters. We have become very wired to jumping very quickly into solution mode, where we think we understand what the problem is. It's, you know, the pricing is wrong. I need more customers. I need to uh, change. People just don't like the messaging. If we write about it differently, they'll like it. And then you just how do we write about it differently? How do we get more customers? It's really easy to find the right answer to the wrong question. And then you're just wasting time and money because you jump so quickly into solving what you think the problem is. And more often than anything, you're wrong. <laughs> what you think is the problem is not really the root. Uh, and you might be making, you know, band-aids for a bacterial infection. Is sort of the way that I like to think about that. But you know, Einstein, they say, asked him if you had an hour to solve a problem that was going to save the world, how would you spend that hour? And he said he would spend fifty-five minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes solving it. And if Einstein was going to dedicate fifty-five minutes of his hour to understanding what the problem is, just think about what we all <laughs> are I know, right? <laughs> and so looking at the last problem or project you worked on and thinking about your respective hour, mm-hmm. because it's not like you get to say, well, yeah, I spent one, we had one, one hour meeting talking about what the problem was. And then we spent 5,000 hours <laughs> working on the new plan and, and getting that launched, you know, that that's not the way that that, um, that ratio really should work. But even we probably, most people don't even spend five minutes of their respective hours thinking about Mm. the problem. So spending more time going through, what really matters and what people are doing and and what you need to be encouraging them to do and where the right points are and then looking for your nudgeable spots and incorporating then the science of, you know, what's someone doing? What do we want them to do? We want to trigger in some loss aversion. We can reframe our message here. Let's add a partition. It becomes easier to implement those pieces of behavioral science
1: I'm I'm liking the elephant more and more. <laughs> <laughs> I know we <laughs> love the, we love the elephant. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 a little more familiar you know as as we are talking. So Melina okay somebody approaches you I I want to understand what kind of uh, techniques you would use and behavioral baking is still there on the agenda. So somebody approaches you with a problem and and we want answers. So the conventional way could be that okay let's do some market research uh, I, I'm saying this is one of the better uh, situations where they would say, "Okay, we need to understand the consumer. Let's do some focus groups, some in-depth, maybe maybe ethnos, you know, maybe participatory observation. Let's use some research, and we'll get some answers." Now we are saying, uh, and 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 let me know what you feel about this. That uh, just that is not going to help you because people don't know. Uh, most of the times, how they would behave. They are telling you what they think they will do or they typically do. And we are not talking about behavioral data uh, online. So, how should we start understanding the consumer? Uh, so, applying behavioral science across the entire, um, you know, solving the problem uh, at the problem understanding stage, at the consumer understanding stage at the interpreting the answers how would you how would you uh, approach this as a behavioral scientist
0: to me it's the step before the, that research is is helpful and valuable and it has a place
1: mm-hmm.
0: and if you haven't thought enough about the problem before you create the focus group or what questions you're going to ask and who you're going to bring in and what you're looking at again you're already working on solving what is potentially the wrong problem. Mm-hmm. And so ideally for me is working with clients further back. Uh, I do, I go through a process of question storming where we attack, uh, what I call known truths, uh, to be able to say, um, like something that everyone would agree, you know, like mm-hmm. change is hard. Most people say, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to change, but it's not necessarily. We change all the time. It's just working with the rules of the brain. It's easier to get someone to change than if you're trying to fight against them and logic the elephant to do something. It's really easy to get the elephant to change a path if you know what's going to motivate the elephant to come over this way, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can get people to change and helping whatever that known truth is, the stuff that's keeping an organization stuck, helping to then understand the question, which I do by asking a lot, lot, lot of questions. And so just having that free space of saying, well, why do we think that is? And well, who do you think is involved? And why would we do it that way what about this what if we did that you know all of these <laughs> i know that's incredibly vague and it also is very relevant for people um i cannot uh, claim coming up with this but one of the things i really like is saying um you know asking people what is 5 plus 5 is not the same as asking how many ways can we make 10 sort of the same question and it's not the same at all. And so having someone that can come in and ask these slightly different questions, which as a consultant, mm-hmm. um, able to see peripheral things and and help to identify then what we need to cater the research toward. And there is a point for big big data matters. There's a lot of ability to be incorporating AI and machine learning and behavioral sciences and having lots of quantitative qualitative research coming together to be testing theories. And then you ask more questions and then you look and see and, and try things out, uh, which really does get into, you know, behavioral baking piece, uh, which is my way to think about applying behavioral economics into your business. So if you decided that you wanted to, go start a bakery. That's your new dream. You know, you watched a lot of Great British Bake Off during the pandemic and you're you're in it now. <laughs> and so that's what you're going to go do, but you've never baked anything before. Mm-hmm. You probably are going to start by understanding some of the ingredients and what they do. Eggs, sugar, butter and flour can be combined in so many ways to make so many things and you want to know what they do. So you don't end up putting in, you know, three cups of sugar and a tablespoon of flour. It's going to be terrible. Whatever you're making is not going to be good. Uh, and so you need to know what the ingredients do on some level on their own. And then you need a plan for what you're going to make, because again, you can't just throw all the ingredients into a bowl and you know, hope it's going to magically turn into brownies. I mean, you can, but it's probably not going to work out (laughs) (laughs) super well. So you need to know what you want to make. And then, especially from the beginning, you're going to want a recipe that you're going to start with and probably go as simple as possible with a box cake mix or something where Mm -hmm. you only have a couple things to add. But you're going to be learning. You might still end up with a dense cake that first time or <laughs> something that's a little bit burnt yeah. and somehow still soupy in the middle, right? <laughs> like, I don't know how I did both of these things. Uh, and you're going to learn from it. You would never, though, say, I tried baking once. It's not real. It didn't work. It's not a thing, right? That's a ridiculous statement to make. Yeah. Because other people bake It's Mm. real. Same Mm. with applying behavioral economics. And we do this all the time. We say, I tried Instagram once Mm. and I didn't get a million followers overnight. It's not a real thing. You can't do that. Mm. And that makes no sense. So Mm. when you're looking to begin applying behavioral economics into business, you want to be in it for the long haul and know that it's a lot of testing, trial and error, getting a little bit better here and there. If you try something and it didn't work the way that you expected. Just like when you make that cake, you say, okay, it was burnt and soupy in the middle. That's weird. Maybe I wonder why that happened. Maybe the oven was too hot. Maybe I put it on the wrong rack and then you're going to try again and you're going to learn from that. And eventually you're going to get better. And then you can start incorporating in your own spices and extra stuff and testing uh, things out. Uh, But then when it comes time to make the wedding cake, Probably still going to hire a professional to come yeah. in. Okay. <laughs> so, so <gasps> when we, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a one-time thing. You mess that up, there's a real problem here, yeah, right? So, yeah. with behavioral economics, I say the concepts, the framing nudges, partitioning, those are our ingredients. And so, in my book, I go through a process of introducing each one on their own. They have a chapter so you can learn about it by itself, and then there's a recipe to follow in part three that's looking at some ways that you can start combining them kind of like your box cake mix as yes. you go and then when you get more comfortable you can be bringing in I only introduce 16 main concepts in the book that are what I think are you know best ones for someone to start with when they're looking at communicating with their customers and brand strategy and things like that there like we said there are hundreds of them and mm-hmm. so you could bring in others but when you look at doing any sort of testing you want to be thoughtful. So spend the time thinking about what matters, why it matters. You can't do everything, even though everything isn't, anything could be important, but you can't test everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you want to be testing often and keep it small and be thoughtful about where you're running those tests.
1: Be thoughtful as a mantra. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Melina, I'm going to, uh, from your articles, I am just going to Uh, make a statement and how about you enlighten my audiences about the principle at play Briefly. Yeah. It's your article. These are all your (laughs) articles. (laughs) Yeah.
0: We'll see if I remember. I write a lot of stuff. So let's see. Hopefully, I got it. We'll go. We'll we'll try.
1: It's a test then. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Okay. So, a Starbucks barista asked me this one simple question, and using it may be a great way to boost your sales.
0: That is a framing. Do you want me to say more about it or just say what the concept was?
1: <laughs> yeah, a few few more lines. So <laughs> yeah. want a different answer, ask a different question. Yeah, please yeah. tell me yes. more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the
0: framing there in that so often when you go through a drive-thru, they say, is that it or anything else? And you're conditioned to say no. In this case, that barista said, and what else sounds delicious today? Hmm. Which hits the brain a little bit differently. You go, ooh, you know, marshmallow dream bar does sound good, yes. right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And and uh, I was listening to one of your talks. There were a lot of examples you had taken about if and when, or you know, questions mm-hmm. like that, that that every day we are using in in all of our meetings. And they could orient the brain uh, in a very different uh, way if we ask. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: I have kind of three things that I have as kind of easy implementations on framing. So, if and when versus when is one, we're kind of conditioned to say if, you know, if you have questions, let me know. If there's anything I can do for you, X, Y, or Z. Um, So, But when we say when, that's more implied of it's Mm. happening. Mm. And so that's helpful. We also have anyone versus everyone. everyone. Yeah. And so we often would say if anyone. So whenever I have a guest on my podcast, instead of saying if anyone is interested in Susie Hughes book, then there's a link in the show notes. I say when everyone is ready to go get that book. There's a link in the show notes. It's the hurting piece and mm. feeling like, well, everyone's doing it. I should go do mm-hmm. that too. It's, a, it's basically saying the same thing, but how you say it really matters, mm. which is the concept of framing.
1: Yes. The other
0: is ending in a statement versus or a, a question. question, right? So if instead mm. of saying, if you have questions, let me know, then there's no need to respond and you just sort of go meh and it lives on mm. in someone's mm. inbox forever mm. versus saying, what questions do you have? We feel really inclined to answer questions when they're posed to us. And even to say, do any of those times work for you? Is different than saying, please let me know what time would work for you. Right? That you, It's going to keep that conversation going when you end on a question, it's more likely to do so.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so powerful. Like we say, words have so much power because uh, your intention is changing. And your expectation is changing, you know, and hence mm-hmm. the response from the other person is, should be different. But yes, being thoughtful is what it's going to take to yeah. start with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, for me, applying behavioral economics is great because you can essentially have things that are, are free or incredibly inexpensive to be able to implement once you understand what it is that you're needing to do yeah. that changing the color of something or the where it is or how you say it and it uh, can mm-hmm. make a really, really big difference. But it doesn't have to be like you have to design all new packaging or come up with a completely new mm-hmm. product. Often you can just message it slightly differently and have a, a big impact.
1: Mm. Beautiful, isn't that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then there is one is why you should overestimate true value of your products.
0: And so this is an anchoring and relativity piece. And in this case, what I'm talking about is if you have something, we'll say that you're selling water bottles for. Ten dollars and then you think, well man, we need to do a price increase to cover some costs and how are we going to like get people on board with paying you know14 dollars instead of 10 that's going to be so difficult and like, you're just so stuck on this low anchor piece. if you do an ex- a thought exercise instead if I say, imagine that, effective immediately, you are selling these water bottles for hundred dollars each. It's a hundred dollar water bottle. How could you get someone to feel like that's a good investment for them and something that they're going to want to buy? Mm -hmm. And then maybe you're thinking about having celebrity influencers drink from the water bottle or some special imagery on them or something, Mm -hmm. right? To have some other campaign that you're going to do to justify them being a hundred dollars. Then when you think back and say, okay, so now we're going to sell them for 14 or whatever I said, it feels a lot easier to do once Mm. you've thought about selling it for a hundred dollars versus being anchored at that $10 Mm. spot. So taking that step back and not being so myopic can help you to feel more comfortable with raising a price. And maybe you'll decide, you know, 14 is not even where we need to be. I bet we could do these for 1850 and we can add this little piece of that cool campaign in uh, Mm. and have better profits and and Mm. something that people are really excited to own.
1: Now, there's one more. I don't know if I haven't read this one, but one word that increased sales by 38%.
0: Yes, that's also anchoring. And it is the Snickers study. So there Mm. were two different end cap displays, one that says Snickers, buy them for your freezer. The other one says Snickers, buy 18 for your freezer. And where we'd all kind of be like, 18 is a lot of Snickers. And if you're coming up with the ad, it feels arbitrary, and you don't want to. And you would logic, you know, well, them is unlimited, and people get 100 Snickers if they want. Uh, but really, them is kind of this fancy word for zero. And if someone's not intending to buy, then maybe they get. You know, one or two. Uh, What they found in this study was that the sales increased by 38% when you had the number 18 instead Mm. of the word them. And so there's nothing magic about the number 18 specifically, but Mm. it is this concept of anchoring. And where if you then see the 18, your brain gets a little bit jarred, maybe. You go, 18, Mm. I'm way better than everybody else. I don't need 18 Snickers. I'll just get six. Instead mm-hmm. of where you would have gotten two in the other. And there is a a framing, subtle question behind those statements that's different as well. That in the them example, mm-hmm. you're saying, would you like some Snickers? Do you want to buy some? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the 18, it's more of an implied sale and you're asking, how many do you want to buy? So again very subtle difference, but makes a huge impact in the way that it hits the brain. uh, And when you understand those rules.
1: Hmm. And Melina says for anchoring, throw in some numbers, right? Yes.
0: Yep. Yep. (laughs) Test numbers and know what you want to do. They don't all have to be high, uh, Hmm. but we do often tend to be on the low end of stuff. So thinking about bigger numbers is probably what most people need to do, but sometimes you want low anchors too.
1: So the context ha huh. okay <laughs> yeah what
0: well, you want someone to do where are yeah. they now? Right? Yeah. All,
1: it all comes yeah. back <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. to that yeah yeah
1: the elephant <laughs>
0: yes oh that elephant. <laughs> uh,
1: Melina uh, where there was uh, one chapter in your book which is brand is a memory yeah yeah and uh, uh, if you could elaborate on that and how uh, story uh, and novelty, Uh, Work in that context.
0: Sure. Yeah. So, because our brains are built up on associations, things that have happened before, habits, then the way that we interact with people and with companies is a series of memories of the experiences that we have with them Mm -hmm. already. So, when you think about your favorite brands, uh, you know, you say, but you probably have ones that come to mind immediately. Disney, Amazon, uh, I love Kate Spade. You know, there are these ones that come up for people. You don't really even have to think about it anymore because you know that they're your favorite. But Mm. how did they get to be that way? And do you consciously think about it each time as you evaluate which is your favorite? Probably not. And so instead, um, understanding that those memories really do matter um, in building up what your brand message is and knowing that that's important for people and you want to have a good first impression, but keep that going over time uh, Mm. to build up those, those Mm. memories. And there's chapters on the peak end rule and and a lot of nuance that comes into that. Um, You know, that last piece then on novelty and story is that we need to have some sort of emotion to be able to make a decision. It's, you know, it needs to tie into what you're doing and people relate to stories. And Mm -hmm. so often instead of saying, you know, there are hundred thousand children in this city that are struggling with hunger and you should care about them. Eh, Mm -hmm. um, Okay. Thanks. Right. It doesn't mean very much, but instead to say, this is Matthew. Matthew is, uh, you know, hungry again, sitting home because his mom is at work or whatever. Right. And you hear the story of like his tummy's grumbling and he's looking through the cabinets and can't find anything to eat and going to have to just go to bed again and, and hope that he'll be able to have breakfast tomorrow mm. and you go, Oh, Matthew. Right? Like, oh no. Like, how do I help you? You are tied in. And then you can say, Matthew is just one of 100,000 children in our community that are struggling with hunger every single night Mm -hmm. and day. Your donation will allow blah, blah, blah. When you donate, you will help kids like Matthew. You see this technique from nonprofits a lot, but that story to, you need that to pull you in at the beginning, and then you care about the number. If you just start with 100,000 children are hungry, it doesn't resonate in the same way.
1: Rapid fire. Okay. Mother's best advice? Be thoughtful. Seriously.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's my best advice for everything. (laughs)
1: Okay. Uh, Not you as a mother, your mother's, right?
0: Oh, well, I think my... (laughs) my mom did more of the because I said so. Actually, we'll say dream big, right?
1: <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. Okay. Alternate profession could have been? A singer. Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Because you're going to sing after this. Yeah. Uh, What would you do on Mars for fun?
0: <laughs> Stay safe in the compound or whatever.
1: <laughs> As per your spouse, your most often used phrase? Is
0: that your bike shed? (laughs) 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 We talk about bike shedding, which is another concept as we get distracted on things.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) One thing no one knows about you. Hmm. I'm pretty
0: transparent about most things, so I wouldn't say no one, but i'm um I don't talk about a lot that I am Alaskan native and I have family. I was born in the Native hospital in Anchorage, and a majority of the family on my mom's side lives on the reservation up there.
1: Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a book you'd like to gift to all your friends and not your own. You can't name your own, yeah. Is
0: a more beautiful question by Warren Berger. It's my very favorite book, though I will say Influence is Your Superpower by Zoe Chance is one of my new favorites, so that's a great one too.
1: Okay, nice. What's something new happening in your life right now?
0: Uh, Well, I have a seven-month-old, so we have lots of new things uh, happening with him every day. Daycare said he took his first two crawl steps forward yesterday, so our our whole world's about to change.
1: Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Hmm, What would you tell your 18-year-old self?
0: (laughs) Go find Aaron Palmer immediately. (laughs) That's my husband.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's very happy right now. (laughs) Uh, Yes. (laughs) Okay. What's your favorite childhood memory? It feels like that's
0: something I should have had a really quick answer to, but I'll say uh, just a lot of singing and performing would be kind of grouping in, in together
1: oh nice if you were to devote the rest of your life to philanthropy what would you what cause would you choose uh, music yeah there i think there needs to
0: be more music back in schools it's really helpful in brain development so
1: oh right and healing right yes yeah, yeah? for sure okay okay what is your greatest joy is uh, spending time with my family how how would you like strangers to remember you as a thoughtful person hey <laughs> consistency <laughs> that's how yeah that's how i roll consistent yeah <laughs> what's a lesson you took a long time to learn
0: hmm um i tend to get really excited about things and i'm a big victim of my own optimism bias and seeing the best in every project and an opportunity and how amazing it could be. And I, you know, keep on going back for things that don't necessarily pan out. So being better at um, filtering my own excitement. I'm still working on that one. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is one missed opportunity that you wish you could have a second chance at? You know,
0: I don't think I, I'm, I'm pretty firm in the things work out the way that they're supposed to work out. So, so really, I don't know that I would change any, uh, of, of how things have gone other than, like I said, maybe finding my husband sooner.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Except for that one thing. Oh, somebody's yes. really happy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Melina? Well,
0: uh, like I said, the second book is um, in route. And so, working on doing a lot more of um, corporate trainings and speaking engagements and things that are tied to helping managers to better lead their employees through change. I'm really excited about how the book has come together. And I think every employee deserves to have a great manager that helps to make a, a good experience and for companies to, to change in the right way. And so really focused on on that aspect I'm I'm really excited about right hey.
1: now. Um Melida, would you like to share your online addresses, emails, podcasts? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: the best way to find me in general is you can go to brainybusiness.com. The podcast is The Brainy Business. My company is The Brainy Business. And so it is all there. My book, soon to be books uh, are there. And then on social media, you can find me as The Brainy Biz, B-I-Z, most everywhere. Uh, the Brainy Business on YouTube and Melina Palmer or The Brainy Business on LinkedIn.
1: So you have four babies now?
0: <laughs> so lots of, yeah, too too many babies.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, well, no, it was a, a fun conversation and uh, you ask questions that I don't usually get asked, which is a lot of fun. And I think everyone should listen to like, share and subscribe Jagged with Jisavri.